open your eyes. There's something more. It's the fuel behind every success story. It's the first few letters on a page. It is key to progress. Revealed by the Spirit, and without it, His people perish. What's your vision? Your city? Your nation? Technology? Culture? Or the arts? Vision for your life. All right, good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Oh, that's much better, much better. Hey, I want to bring you just a couple of pieces of uh, news before we get started on our message today. We're going to talk today about how to be prosperous, and so let your mind begin to think about that. You'll probably think in the wrong direction about what that means, but we're going to hopefully bring a biblical look at that. Um, so some really neat things are happening. Number, uh, number one is album number two is underway for Influence Music, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, to see that that unfolding before us. Uh, Michael Kettier will be leading worship next week. I think that's going to be a great time, so make sure you're here for that. And then um, we've also got just some neat things happening internally in terms of just people and what God's doing, and we're praying for some healing and some things in, in people's lives. I always want to encourage you to press into the supernatural. I mean, you have to press in. It's not something that comes easily or, or just accidentally. You have to press into God. Um, and when you press into God, you find that God is so amazing. I want to talk to you about prosperity. I was sitting down with a businessman uh, this past week, and he was talking to me about how to kind of retool his business. And, and you know, I, I've, I've done some executive coaching over the years, and it was really just a fun time. But when I got done, I realized, wow, what I just told him would be a great message. Because when we talk about vision, one of the things that, that hurts us in vision is we always have what's going on in our mind that's telling us what we can't do. And when we hear words like rich or wealthy or prosperous, we always say, but that's not me. But I, what I want to do is I want to talk to you today about how to be prosperous and what does that really mean. Prosperity, and if you study this in the Hebrew Bible, which I did, what does that word prosper or prosperity mean? And it means this, it's always tied to goodness, happiness, wealth, and favor. Now let me go over those again. It's tied to goodness, happiness, wealth, and favor. Converse of that, the word rich is always tied to, and it has a meaning in the Hebrew, to gain glory for yourself, to be dull, or to be heavy. You see, you can be rich and not prosperous. You can be prosperous and not rich. What we want to do is press into true prosperity and understand it. So let's go back to that definition that prosperity is tied to goodness, happiness, wealth, and favor. 
So our granddaughter will be one uh, coming up on the 29th of this month, which is exciting. So I want to show you a picture of her because, I mean, isn't this like melts your heart? Looks so much like me. I mean, it just like, actually, you know, when, when you look at her, you see a definition of prosperity because that's goodness, right? That's favor. That's joy. That's happiness. And sometimes we get in our mind that prosperity is something different than that. It's something about enjoying a little moment. I look at her sitting in snow for the first time in her life, and she's happy. If I'm sitting in snow right now, I'm not happy. How about you? Right? That's why we moved away from the north. But prosperity, if you get in your mind it's something different than you think it is, then you can start on a journey of the right mindset. Because now you think in terms of wholeness and fullness and so th- many things like that. Growing up, my, uh, I was a, an only child, which I know some of you are going, well, that explains a lot. I get that my whole life. But growing up, I was an only child, and my dad was Dutch. He was a colonel in the Army, and he was cheap. He really was cheap. And so we lived in Denver, and it was, uh, you know, average temperatures in the summer would be, you know, anywhere from 90 to 110. And we had no air conditioner. And I said, I finally convinced him to buy an air conditioner, so he bought one of these really small window units, and he put it in one room where we watched TV. But the rule was that the, we could only turn it on, and you had to shut the door so it wouldn't leak out into the hallway. You had to shut the door. We could only turn it on when all three of us were in the room watching TV, which meant it almost never got turned on, Right? Because how often are you going to get everybody in the room watching TV at the right temperature to turn on the air conditioner? I don't know that it ever went on, to be honest with you. But what that did for me growing up was it created a mindset about life. It created a mindset that we're going to call a poverty mindset or a poverty spirit in my mind. It wasn't that my dad didn't have a good job or didn't make a good income. He did, but we were not rich. But what it did was it made me look at life differently than I look at life today. But I still find myself being pulled back into this mindset that takes me down a journey that is not my favorite journey. So I was studying uh, a neurologist and, and his whole conception of the brain and how the brain works, and here's what he said. I thought it was so interesting. He said, the speech center of the brain rules over the nerves. Let me say it again. The speech center of the brain rules over the nerves. So when I say something like I'm tired, my nerves respond because of what my brain hears me say, and it doesn't give me more energy. It actually makes me more tired. This neurologist went on to say when a person is retired from work and they walk around telling people I'm retired, the nerve center the, the brain sends these messages to the nerve, and it begins to shut your body down and your mind down even more because it's listening to that message. When you tell people, I'm sick, what you're really doing is you're reinforcing to the nerves that you're not well. This is not a mind over matter. This is literally science that says what I speak has an effect on my body. Have you ever been to a football game or a baseball game, and you went in there kind of like, ah, I don't really care if I see this game, but my friend's really excited about it, and then everybody around you is excited. 
They're shouting, they're high-fiving, they're pouring beer on you, they're doing whatever they're doing in that stand, and all of a sudden, what happens to you? You get excited, you're high-fiving. You're not ripping off your shirt and painting the team on your chest, but you're excited. You know what I'm talking about? What happened in that moment was your brain sent a signal to your nerves, this emotion is good and fun, and I'm going to get in the game. Now, I want you to keep these things in mind because here's a, here's a couple of thoughts. Your words can create health or sickness in your life. Your words can create health or sickness in your life. Over the, over the course of time, I've known a few people that were sick all the time. I don't know if they're really sick, but they told me they were sick all the time. How are you doing? I'm sick. And then every once in a while, I go, well, you're, you're always sick. Oh, no, I'm not sick. I had two days last month. But you see what's happening to them is they're creating a reality in their life that they don't really want, but it's become a habit. Prosperity and wealth are not the same. And once you understand that you can be prosperous and not make the most money in your neighborhood, you understand that prosperity is a really powerful thing. But prosperity is not an accident. It's really a lifestyle and a choice. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people talk, oh, they grew up in poverty, they had no way out. But if that were true, then nobody in poverty would ever get out. You see, there are choices and differences that we make in certain situations by lifestyle, uh, by our own decision, and by choices that are powerful that, that literally push us out of that world of bondage. So another thought is all the promises of God, when you read them in the Bible, are conditional. There, are, there is no promise that doesn't come without a condition. It always has a condition, if you will do this, I will do that. But we seem to operate differently than that. We just think I can pray, I can ask God for blessing, but I haven't fulfilled the condition attached to the promise. So here's the, here's the truth. You make void his promises when you violate his conditions. I know people who will say, well, I'm praying for financial blessing, but they don't honor God with their tithe and their offering. God will not honor that prayer because you violated the condition that God set forth in his word for you to receive the blessing. But when I fulfill the conditions, for example, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, there's the condition. Then all these things shall be added unto you. And if you read the, all these things, it all has to do with life material things, the fulfillment that God wants to bring in your life. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So the condition is, I delight myself in God, and what does he do? Then he fulfills the conditions of my heart. And by the way, when you're really delighting in God, your heart is transformed into receiving and asking for the right things, which is powerful. So I want to put a formula up here that I think is really powerful once you kind of get it. Giving equals receiving. We normally think about giving is losing. If I give something, I've lost something. But biblical giving is when I give, I receive. Have you ever given something and not received? You always receive back. You give love and you, you somehow, even if that person doesn't love you back, you feel good because you've, you've released that into that person's life. And so what we want to do is operate with a principle that, and a poverty mindset, if I give, then I'm doing without. No, the right mindset is when I give, I receive. And I receive so that I can give again. And then I give, and then I receive. 
and I keep this cycle going to where I just become a vessel to further the good of mankind and the kingdom of God. And I'm not withholding anything in the process. So I want you to start with change your mindset. Now, we're going to say that together because remember what happens. The brain center, the speech center of the brain is tied to the nervous system. So let's say that together. Change your mindset. Got it? I'm going to show you a clip from Creed. It's a boxing movie that most of you ladies have seen. Well, maybe not. But I think you're going to like this clip because it's about changing your mindset. So let's watch this clip from the movie Creed. All right, Donnie, get into your stance. Make a small target, turn sideways. Okay. You see this guy here staring back at you? Yeah. That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Okay? Let's throw a jab in the jaw. All right, one to the gut. Now, every time you punch this guy, what's he doing? Start one back at That's right. So either you block it, slip it, or get out of the way. So. I'll leave you two alone for a while. Good luck. Your toughest opponent is the one in the mirror. If you look in the mirror and you don't see success, you don't see win, you don't seem prosperous, you don't see the things you need to see, you have defeated already. Every day you wake up and you have to face you. And when you change the mindset, you realize that the mirror is just an, a, a reflection of what's going on, on the inside. When we start to change the inside, when we start to transform the way that we think and the way that we look at life, it has an amazing effect on our life. I was reading the story of... Uh, Fuller, a Fuller Brush, many of you don't know that name, some of you know that name from a long time ago, but he was a, the son, he was a, a, a farmer, and uh, he was a son of a slave, and he didn't have a father, and his mother every day got up and said to him, God didn't make us poor, we just didn't have a father who would teach us how to be rich. And young, that young boy heard that message loud and clear. And somehow, by the time he got to be in his just late teens or early 20s, he was able to save $1,000. And this was in 1906. And he went to a man and he said, how would you like to make $1,000? And the man said, I'd love to make $1,000. He said, write me a check for $10,000. He said, you write me a check for $10,000 and next week I'll bring you back $1,000 in interest on that $10,000. The man wrote him a check. He walked out of there, 1906, with a check for $10,000. He went over and he bought what became the Fuller Brush Company. He brought back and gave $1,000 to the man, and that began a great, amazing kind of journey of success. But it happened from a mom who changed a mindset who said, God did not make us poor. We just didn't have someone, a father, to teach us about being rich. You see, all of us live in that, in that mindset of poverty if we're not careful. All of us have an excuse and something to blame if we look at it. But I want to take you to the Word of God. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And it says this, that God is able, 
God is able to make all grace, and this is coming from the Amplified Version, that is every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. Now, one of the things we do is we say, well, it's not coming to me. So we become the, the one person that God's, this scripture doesn't apply to. What I want you to do is I want you to change your mindset and say that scripture is written for me. It's for me. If no one else in the room says it's for me, it's for me. So that you may always, under all circumstances and whatever need, be self-sufficient, that is, possessing enough to require no aid or support, furnished in abundance for every good work and every charitable donation. God wants us to be prosperous in such a way that all of our needs are met, we have enough margin that where when opportunity comes, we can bless someone else. But it says God is able to do that. And we're going to show you how to come to a place of prosperity. First of all, you have to feed your faith and you have to starve your doubt. I can't afford to be around people who don't have faith for very long because I leak. It drains me. People that just don't have any faith and always speaking negative. You know, I try my best, but after a while they start to have an effect on me. I have to find ways to feed my faith. I have to make sure that I'm saying at least three times more about faith than I'm letting doubt coming into my life. Because it's just a human condition. It's the way we're wired. It's the way we're designed somehow in the fall of, of, of man. But I also have to agree with the promises of God. When God makes a promise, I say I agree with that promise. I may not see the reality of it right now. I may not know how it's going to work or when it's going to happen. But I agree that what God has said is true and will work in my life. I just have to agree with it. Because the option is what? I disagree with God? You see what I'm saying? Oh, I don't agree with you, God. That's just not good. That's not right. No, we don't want to do that. All right, so watch what it says here. We want to reinvent ourselves, okay? So if we're in business, we think in terms of an S-curve. An S-curve looks like this. It's the, it's the growth of a company. It's a growth. It can even be the growth of an individual. And the idea is when I'm first born, I'm learning to do a lot of stuff, and then I go on this accelerated journey of walking, talking, going to school, and all those things. But a business is exactly the same way. Like this, this church here, it's experienced the same thing, and that is we're six years old, so we're experiencing some of this kind of stuff now. But there comes a point in an S-curve where you have to reinvent. If you don't, you start to plateau, and then you start to decline. So what I want you to do is think about how can I reinvent me today? How can I look at me from a different perspective, get some new ideas, and take my life on a whole new journey? So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. We're going to give you a lot of scriptures. At least write the references down if you don't look them all up because you're going to go back. These are promises. You're going to read the promises over and over again. Deuteronomy from the Old Testament. Now it came to pass, it come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So what's the condition? I diligently obey the voice of the Lord my God. That's the condition. If I fulfill that condition, I'm going to get a benefit. Watch the benefit. To observe carefully his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord God will set you high above the nations of the earth. There's the first promise. That there's going to, God is going to put me in a preferenced situation because I have done that. And it goes on to say, and all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, let's go ahead and get you up here on the, on the board. This is you, all right? 
I wish I was that thin. That, th- this is you. Okay. Now, here's what it says. The blessings of God are behind you until you obey. When you obey, they overtake you. Then they get out in front of you. This is what it says, right? Let's look at it again. And these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So watch this scene. So here I am, I'm walking along, and I'm, I decide, I make a decision, a conscious decision, I'm going to obey the voice of the Lord my God. All of a sudden, the promises that God has for me, they begin to overtake me, they get out in front of me, and now I find myself walking into the promises and walking into the blessings, where if I'm not obeying, I'm going, I don't know where his promises are. I don't know where his blessings are. I don't feel any of that. You know, when I was in grade school, or maybe it was junior high, they used to have this thing where they'd write a, put a note and they, or a piece of tape, and they'd say, kick me, and they'd put it on somebody's back. You remember this stupid thing? This is the stupidest game in the world. Seventh grade game. So we're walking down the road, and all of a sudden, somebody kicks me in the rear end. I go, hey, whoa, what are you doing? Well, you got a sign on your back that says, kick me. Well, I didn't put it there. I didn't intend to get kicked, Right? I don't know what's going on behind me. What's going on behind me is not as important as what's going on in me and in front of me. If you let the past cripple you for your future, you'll never see the future because you'll be living in the past. But if I say, if it says, if I obey the voice of the Lord my God, he says, my blessing is going to come on you. My blessing is going to get before you. You're going to find yourself walking in them. You're going to say, hey, I don't have to look for the blessings. I'm walking in the blessings every day of my life because why? I obey the voice of the Lord my God. Remember, every promise of God is a conditional promise. God's blessings will catch up with you. God's blessings will pass you up. They will be waiting for you in the future. Let me take you to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. The book of the law, look at this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on, on it day and night, that you may observe what is written in it. There's the condition. What is the condition? It is the book of the law shall not depart from my mouth. Do you see how the mouth was connected to this promise? Because why? The speech center of the brain controls the nerves. If I don't believe the promises of God, if I'm not speaking out the promises of God, they're not going to be a reality in my life. So it says, don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate then day and night. If I'm speaking God's word during the day, it'll come back to me at night when I lay down. I'll meditate on the word of God, and I'll do, and it says here, notice, do according to all that is written in it, for he will make your way prosperous. You see the, you see the blessing? If I do this, he will make my way prosperous. And, look what else, and you will have good success. So ask yourself this, if I'm not prosperous right now, and if I'm not having good success, are you speaking the word of God, obeying the voice of God, listening to his commands and meditating on them? There's the problem. Well, yeah, I tried that once. No, you don't try something once in the kingdom. It becomes a habit it becomes a discipline. I mean, the, the, the people that really seem to succeed in life in every area of life have two things. They have discipline and they have habit. They have the right discipline, the right habit. I'm going to keep doing this, doing this, doing this, and if I keep doing this and I have discipline in it, sooner or later it's going to work. If you're going to school and you're, you're, you're in college and you're studying your, 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 your different courses, you say, I don't know where this thing is going. It's not going to, don't worry about it. Just be faithful every day in what you're doing, and eventually this is all going to make sense. You see, daily faithfulness will always bring you to a place, if you have habit and discipline, of great success. 
So here's a, here's a really quick practical thing that you can do. I call it the 50 master list items, okay? So if you're going to reinvent yourself, you need to come up with 50 ways that you can reinvent yourself. You say, well, I only came up with 10. Keep going. Everything on the surface is obvious. It's not worth as much. If you want to get the really good stuff, you drill down to get oil. You dig down to get diamonds. If you will take and say, I'm not stopping with 10 or 12 or 15 or 20, I'm going to keep pressing into 50 ways because all of a sudden you're going to press into the creativity dimension of your life and you're going to start to see your life differently than you've ever seen it before. You're going to, I never saw that about me. I never thought of that before. Look what I can do here. And you take those 50 and then you go through them and you go, which ones are the top three that I should start working on right now? Because you can't do all 50, and not all 50 of them are good. You might only find three that are good, but those three are worth a million dollars to you in terms of your future, the 50 masterless item. The other thing you have to do is you have to expect that unusual opportunities will come your way. You see, what I do is I, I, live, I make the mistake of living with the expecting of how it's worked in the past, it'll work in the future. God says, no, I'm, I'd like to do some unusual things. I'd like to surprise you once in a while. Right? I, I want to give you something unusual, something new, something fresh, something that, that, that not only you're going to, it's going to meet your need, but you're going to go, wow, I can't believe this happened. I mean, if you give a gift to someone at Christmas time, what do you want? Hey, yeah, thanks. I got socks again. I had an uncle, it's cheapo. White tube socks every year. White tube socks every year. He was such a cheapo that he saved one half of every paycheck that he ever earned from the time he was 18. Cheapo. He could have got me two pair of tube socks. He had the money, right? But think about it. What would happen if you would just start to think differently about your future? Opportunities will come your way. And then walk humbly before God and man. This is such a big biblical principle. Walk humbly before God and man. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. I don't have what I have. You don't have what you have because you're just simply smart or worked hard. It's more than that. Humility says, wait a minute. It was God who gave me the power to get what I got. It's God who will take me to the next level. The heart of God is the pot of gold, by the way. When you have a heart for God, you're going you're gonna to find all the gold that God has for you all the opportunities, all the advancements you want, they're going to be there. You know, in the business world, if you're, if you're, if you're an investor, you, you have a portfolio, and you might have some bonds and some stocks and some cash and some different things in there. But what they ask you to do periodically is rebalance your portfolio. So I'm going to ask you to rebalance your spiritual portfolio today. Why don't you look at this, this investment called prayer and rebalance it? Once you look at this investment you have in your life called serving God and rebalance it. Once you look at this investment you have called giving and honoring God and rebalance it. And say, God, I want to maximize my investment in the kingdom and in, in other people's lives. And you have to periodically rebalance it because you kind of, the things that worked yesterday don't work today. You have to learn how to reinvent those things and rebalance 
And then allocate your best time and your best effort to God. Give God your best, and he will bless you. You know, everyone in this room, if you would just take five minutes every day, every day, just five minutes, not 50, five minutes every day, and recite the promises of God back to yourself, thank him for the day that he's given you, your life would be radically different. So I like, I like to wait all, get it all accumulated at the end. I'll just do 35 minutes on Saturday. It's not the same. Why don't you do that with brushing your teeth? You know, I'm going to give it a good scrub on Friday. How about eating, right? Hey, I'm just going to wait and eat at the end of the week. We don't operate like that in life. Why do we do that with God? And God is the most important person in the universe. Amen? Why do we give God leftovers? You know, why do we discount God? Why do we only move in the dimension of God when we have a crisis? Hey, God is there in your crisis. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? How much better if he could be there in the day-to-day, every-day activity you have so that you can honor God, walk with God, and follow after God, amen? That's just what he wants because, you know, he knows how you're going to operate best in the world. Speak God's words about you to you. Let me give you an example. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Do you know, now look what it says. God has pleasure when you are prosperous. You see, somehow in Christianity we got this mindset that if we just, if we just are poor and, and quiet and depressed, that we're more spiritual. You know I'm right. Come on, you know I'm right. I remember years ago, we, we, uh, we had a, our family, had a family of three, so we had our three kids, we had five of us, and uh, Tammy's best friend got a conversion van. Well, you know what happens when your best friend gets a conversion van. A conversion van is coming down your path. Now, if you don't know what a conversion van is, you don't want to know. They're like the dinosaur of the past. But it was basically take, take a big gas guzzler, put two gas tanks on it, put a bed in there and a stove or whatever you can put in those things, and then drive around the country and camp and all that kind of stuff. That was a conversion van. So we found a used conversion van. Couldn't afford a new one. And I've got this used conversion van, and, and uh, we didn't have it long because after a while it wasn't much fun to drive. But anyway, and it had two gas tanks. That's always a negative. When you buy a car with two gas tanks, get rid of it. Well, I had it parked out in front of church one day, and a guy came walking in to church, stepped in my office, and he said this to me. He said, it looks like we're paying the preacher too much. I got so angry inside, and I didn't know why. I don't know whether I felt like he was attacking my character I don't know what was going on, but what was really going on in my mind was I thought I didn't think I deserved it all along anyway, and he confirmed it. And, you know, I'm not always known for tact. I, I just kind of like to tell it the way it is and just move on. And I said, you know what? And I called his name out, and I said, you know what? Let's just walk down the hall and see Rita. She's our financial secretary. Let's pull up your giving record, pull up mine, see how you're doing. See, because you know what he was suffering from? He was, self, he was suffering from selfishness, personal selfishness. 
He couldn't stand for me to have something he didn't have or be blessed if he wasn't being blessed, but he wasn't meeting the condition to be blessed. See, he had a problem, but I had a problem. We both had problems. We just had different kind of problems. I had a problem that I didn't think I ever deserved anything good. I still fight it. You know you have this poverty mindset when you're always making excuses for what you have that you think somebody else might think you shouldn't have. You know, I make it a practice when someone's blessed to rejoice as much as I possibly can truly from the heart because I need to overcome my own personal selfishness. And the best way I do it is blessing others, helping others, being kind to others. You have to take massive action. When I, when I say this, sometimes you hear a message like this, and let me tell you what normally happens. Yeah, that was good, and you forget it. Or, you know what, I, I, I kind of like that, but I don't do anything. I do the five minutes a day for three days, and I stop. I don't really take any action. You have to take massive action and be serious about attacking a problem. You have to take the promises of God and say, I will not let those promises fall by the wayside. Those are for me. I'm going to put my arms around them. I'm going to embrace them. I'm going to move in that dimension, that dimension of fullness. It'll seem unnatural because you're fighting against a lot of the stuff I'm fighting against and people sitting in the pew with you are fighting against. But you have to press through it and go, God made these promises to me. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going I'm to read something that I wrote uh, on this subject that I want you to recite with me. It won't be on the screen, so you just have to listen. But um, I call it a, a prophetic declaration of prosperity. It goes like this. God's plan, just repeat after me, God's plan for my life is prosperity, not poverty. I choose to agree with the promises of God. I reject the lies of the enemy. I will walk humbly before my God and before man and seek to further the kingdom of God. What would happen if you said that or, or it's equivalent, something in your own words every day of your life. I just choose today. I just choose to walk in the prosperity that God has for me. The, for the promises of God are for me. I will walk humbly before God and man. I will do whatever I can in my life to bless others and to further his kingdom. And every day that was what you said. Do you, you think your life would be different? Because the converse of that is either I do nothing or I get up and say, another day, I got to survive. I don't know where the, what, got, what I'm going to do. Hey, you're making you miserable and everybody around you. Right? I'm never happy when I talk negative to me. So if I'll just change my mindset, remember, the speech center of the brain is tied to the nervous system. What you say is going to affect you physically. It will have a detrimental effect on everything you do. But if you will say, no, enough of that, just say enough of that, I'm choosing to go forward, walk into the blessings of God. Amen? 
All right, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I want you to take this little time, let it be a ministry time between you and God, where you just allow God to kind of speak to you. And you speak out and say, God, I, I'm going to reject that mindset. I'm going to embrace this mindset. I'm going to do the Word of God. I'm going to speak the Word of God. And just let this be a time where God just ministers to you. All right, let's sing. For those of you who might be here for the first time or maybe you just really haven't engaged in it, but when you walk out these doors, there's a wall there. We call it a prayer wall. And it's really, it's kind of the idea was taken from the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem where prayers are placed there every day. And one of the things that makes our wall different is your prayers are never removed. They're there. And every time we walk by there, you have an overwhelming sense of, wow, people really believe in prayer. People are really trusting God for some great things and marvelous things. We want you to participate in that. And whether you have a prayer request to put in the wall or whether you walk by and place your hand on it and go, I just want to pray blessings on these people. I want to pray healing and peace. And I want, I want the, the pressure to be removed so that joy and true prosperity can come in everyone's life. Amen? Amen. You know, one of the great things about uh, this season, you can turn the lights on. I, I want to kind of look at you now. But, uh, oh, yeah, you look so good. Um, one of the great things about this season we're in right now is we don't have anything to promote. Feels so good right now. It's like you don't got to buy anything, do anything. You don't got to goggle peanut butter, do butter. You got to do nothing. You just got to do church. Just do church. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's what we're doing right here. As is the habit of some, but all the more. That means assemble more often as you see the day drawing near. So when you see, the closer we come to the return of Christ, he says gather more, not less. Because the pressure in society will be greater. And you, we need each other more, amen? So here's what I want you to do. Be back next week. Bring someone with you. Say, hey, why don't you come on? Just come one week. 80% of the people will come to church if invited by a friend or a relative. They'll just come if you ask them. I said last week, 
about 100% of the people don't come if you don't ask them. Amen? Hey, bless you guys. Go out. Have a great day in the Lord. Get some rest. Go to the prayer wall. We'll see you next time.